So I love what I do and I hope you love what you do. And sometimes we're all fortunate enough to do for a living our passion. And that's tremendous. And uh, we're going to talk to somebody next who does. Unfortunately, sometimes the pressure comes and business gets in the way of what you love to do. Scott Maloney of Century Cycles is next. Hello, friends, and welcome to Purpose Under Pressure, sharing stories of purpose and the storms that rise in the business world that can knock you off of yours. Purpose Under Pressure is brought to you by the Ruby Group, Sandler Sales Training in Akron, serving business and sales leaders across Ohio and in Florida with sales and leadership training. I am Brian Leffelock. I'm glad you're here. Let's turn up the pressure. I think one of the fun things about this podcast is that I get to talk to people about how they use their put their pressure or their purpose to work every day in business. And uh, it's easy when it's just kind of what you do. When, when you love what you do and you do what you love, that's kind of fun. You kind of get to go to work every day and, and put your purpose under pressure uh, to action. And we're going to do that here with Scott Maloney. Scott Maloney is the president of uh, Century Cycles with four locations in Northeast Ohio, including Medina, Rocky River, Peninsula, and Shaker Heights. And that's what I mean about doing what you love. It'd be kind of fun to own a bike shop. That'd be, that'd be just like playing every day, right? Scott, welcome to Purpose Under Pressure. Thanks, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here today. Yeah, and I'm glad you're here too. I, I'm, uh, I'm interested in family-owned businesses that have some scale, that are growing and doing amazing things. And I'm also interested in the concept of doing things that you love. And so tell me a little bit about Century Cycles, um, a little bit of what, what you're proudest of and what you're excited about with the business, uh, what your purpose is as far as that goes. And we'll get into the tough times here in a second. But go ahead and tell me a little bit about Century Cycles. Sure. So uh, when you talk about doing what you love, uh, I guess... That's a more recent thing for me because we bought the business about a year ago and uh, it was me going through some personal reflection about what I was doing at the time and deciding that um, as I get into a, a later chapter of my career that um, I had been in banking for a while and IT consulting and I was looking at a computer screen every day and thought, you know, I think there's something I can do a little different here that I'll, um, uh, as you said, give me more passion about what I what I sit down to do for work every day. And uh, years ago when I was a child, I used to work on bikes all the time. Eight, nine years old, I'd pull them out of the trash and take them apart and put them back together and um, worked in bike shops when I was going through middle school, high school, and college for about 12 years. And um, when I was trying to think about, well, what else might I do, um, I kind of kept coming back to maybe there's an opportunity in the uh, bicycle industry. So um, it just so happened that coincidentally, the owner of Century Cycles who had run those stores for 30 years here in Northern Ohio was um, ready to retire. I kind of reached out to him and he, and I talked about maybe I would join him and he said, no, I'm, I'm ready to uh, move on. So um, we were able to work that out. And uh, it's been, uh, it's amazing how fast that first year of ownership has gone by. And, and is it going well? Is it on pace? Are you doing amazing things and selling a ton of bicycles or uh, everything good so far? Everything's been good so far. We've certainly uh, had our share of challenges, and I know we'll get into that a little later. Um, but, uh, yes, at a high level, if you look at what we established for sales goals for the business for, for the year, um, we're exceeding those a little bit, which is happy, uh, uh, makes us happy that we've been able to accomplish that. And, uh that's in, in, in spite of um, some bumps in the road that made made it a little more challenging than we might have thought when we first got into it. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about purpose. 
Um, you mentioned dollars and goals, and, and you've got four locations, and you've got employees, and you've got all kinds of things that you're dealing with. But it's, it's also kind of fun to run a family-owned business around bicycles and things. So what is the purpose? Why do you do what you do? What do you love about doing what you do? Um, what, what won't you sacrifice when it comes to running this business? And, and how does that purpose play out on a day-to-day basis? Well, I, I think our purpose is um, bringing happiness and satisfaction to cyclists all over northern Ohio. I know that when we come to work and we open up these stores and we have our customers coming in uh, day after day and from year to year, um, that we can get, if we can get that many more people out on a bike, whether it be from childhood up into um, at the point that they're retired and they're getting exercise, they're getting outside, they're socializing, they're doing all those positive things. Um, if, if as long as we keep seeing more and more people doing that, or our goal is to get as many people as we can out on a bike, then um, that gives us a lot of satisfaction that um, we're, we're contributing to uh, the health and happiness of lots and lots of people. Tremendous. And, and, and does that, that feels like a great thing to wake up with in the morning and swing your feet out of bed and put on the floor and say, let's go make America healthier. Let's, 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 let's make people happy. Uh, what gets in the way? Because that sounds like a, a really fun way to go, but business is reality. Business causes troubles. What, what are those pressures that get in the way that kind of say, hey, don't worry about making people happy. We need to hit bottom lines or top lines of revenue or whatever. Talk to me a little bit about the, the reality of business in this way. Well, you know, there were, there were a few few challenges that we encountered right out of the gate. Um, certainly supply chain was a challenge that everybody was facing as we were working our way out of the pandemic. And there was, there was tremendous disruption there for the bike industry like there were for many other industries. Uh, there were certain types of bicycle that um, up until a few months ago, we could not even get to have in the store to sell to people. Uh, what they would call a drop bar bike, which is the bikes that have the curved bar that people ride for um, road riding or gravel riding. And um, so we had to figure out how to work our way around that. In some cases, we would we would work to get our hands on used bikes that we can make available as opposed to new bikes. Um, in some cases, uh, some of our customers were very patient and would put down a deposit and say, hey, I understand your challenges. And if and when you get those in, give me a call and then I'm, I'll be excited about coming in and being ready to get my next bike to replace what I'm riding. Um, so, so there were those aspects of the business. And then um, one of the things that really was an unexpected challenge for us was discovering only two weeks after we bought the business that another bike store in Shaker Heights was getting ready to close. Uh, a friend of ours stumbled upon a message he had put out on the store's website thanking the community for 28 years of serving that area or that region. And um, his wife had recently retired. He was ready to retire. And for whatever reason, he really had not shopped the, the business around that much to look for somebody to take it over. And uh, I hopped in the car, drove over there to meet him cold for the first time on a Saturday afternoon. And um, the store was almost completely empty. This was December of a year ago. And we just had a nice conversation. And one thing led to another where he said, well, why don't you take it over and keep it running? Because I feel bad about leaving the community that I've served all these years and not giving them a, a place to take their bike to be repaired or to buy their child's next bike, that kind of thing. So um, only two weeks after we bought the first three, which represented Century Cycles, we 
closed the deal to add a fourth location and had to figure out how to work that in uh, without disrupting the business at the first three and also to get this store back up and running after being almost completely stripped bare and ready to hand the keys over to the landlord in just a couple weeks. So explain to me and, and help others that are thinking about scale and things of that sort in their business understand why that's a problem. Because here you are trying to help as many people ride bikes as possible. Here's an opportunity to just expand into another market. It sounds like it's super simple. Let's just turn the key and go. It sounds like it caused some issues or some problems. How does that affect that instant scale? How does that affect what your plans are? And why was that such uh, pressure in the first place? Well, first things first, when you figure that you've got a retail space that is virtually empty, everything, all the fixtures were gone, almost all the inventory was gone. Um, Add to that, that he had let his employees move on to other opportunities. So it was just himself and one other person who were working in the store. Um, So me and a couple other people had to kind of pull away from other things that we would have been investing our time and energy into to devote almost 100% of our time and energy to figure out, okay, um, and, and fortunately, I'm, I'm handy and a couple other people were handy so that we could go in there and we had to build new workbenches, we had to build new fixtures and displays throughout the space. Um, we had to coordinate with our employees in the other stores to identify inventory that was um, that they could do without that was then going to be transferred over into this store so we could restock it. Um, we had to work with the city to let them know that, no, this wasn't going to close after all and make sure we had all of our appropriate uh, certificates and permits in place to operate as a store going forward. Had to negotiate a new lease with the landlord of that space because he was under the impression that, okay, I got to go find new tenants now to move into the space because because Frank is moving out in two weeks and now he found out that we were going to stay and he was elated about that, but we still had to have a lease at the end of the day so that we were operating under uh, uh, a firm contract. Uh, we had to go to all of our suppliers, of which there are dozens, and let them know that, hey, we're now adding a fourth location and um, there will be times when we're making orders that the product we're ordering goes out to the specific store location, so all of their paperwork had to be updated to add a fourth location. We had to go to our bank to let them know that for our loan, um, hey, we're going and making another investment. We're spending some more money. We're adding a fourth location um, to make sure that they were aware of all that because they um, that gets factored in when they're looking at your you as an ongoing business and evaluating the risk of you as a customer and making sure they were okay with it. So I could keep going, but those are a few of the things. Well, and and so and correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first business you've owned. Uh, we've had a couple other, we've, we've, um, had some rental property in years past and, um, I was a part owner. This is the first retail business that we've owned. Yeah. And so what kind of challenges, uh, did you just, did you, did you ever think maybe just no, tell that person, uh, was it, was it the Shaker Heights store? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, You just think, no, I've got too many irons in the fire. I can't take this amazing opportunity. Did you ever consider saying no? I did initially tell him no, actually. (laughs) So um, we uh, got to the end of the conversation and he threw out the idea of taking over the store. And I said, I just bought these other three two weeks ago. And uh, I said, we had plans and over time to expand other locations, but this is like a total curveball. So, um, you know, let me think about it. And um, really though, by the time, it was about a 45 minute drive back home, by the time, 
we got back home, I just figured, even though it was going to have its share of challenges, it was too good of an opportunity to pass up because of all of that customer goodwill he had established over 28 years of working out of that location. To, to go and you, you can't duplicate that when you go and open up a new location from scratch in a, in a community. Um, so for that reason alone, we felt like we, we really need to keep this open. So. So how does that work when you have, you've, you've gone through all the plans, you went to the bank, you had everything ready to go this one direction, and then all of a sudden you're offered this second opportunity, which kind of just throws everything crazy. In, in, in retrospect, you know, would you have done anything different? Would you suggest to someone, hey, stick to your plans? Because that's what we hear all the time. Stick to your plans. Don't let things cross you. Don't look at the shiny thing that goes, oh, I'll do that instead. I mean, you did that. You had plans. You were moving forward, and all of a sudden, you went after something else. What would your suggestion be to other people that are doing that same thing? Well, I would say take the time to sit down and, and lay out a, a revised plan. Um, in, in my case, because I worked in the field of project management for over 20 years, there were a lot of things that, fortunately for me, are just second nature. So I, I can immediately sit down and just crank out a list of all the things that I know will need attention and how different aspects of how you're running your day-to-day -day business will be affected. So that might be second nature for me, but for other people who have not had to do that, that, that can really be intimidating because they're like, oh, you know, this does sound like a great opportunity, but, you know, marketing and fake human resources and finance and supply chain and all those different areas of a business and all the different hats that a small business owner is wearing all of those are going to be affected when you do something like this. So I'd say that that's for sure what you what you want to do is sit down and just brainstorm whether and hopefully you've got a couple people that you can talk to for advice and ha and let them hit you with challenges and hard questions and make sure you've kind of got all that figured out before you make the decision to, to pull the trigger. Say on the rule, only decision makers can get other people to make decisions. Each and every day, we have a decision to make. Also, when we're with buyers in our sales process, we have a decision to make how we're going to lead that interaction. And if I'm somebody that can make daily commitments and keep those daily commitments, then when I'm with buyers, I expect them to make commitments and keep those commitments to me throughout that sales process. So first and foremost, I have to have a decided heart in order to lead other people to make the decisions that I'm expecting them to make. But when you, uh, I'm interested in this. I love, again, I mentioned small business, family business. I'm all about that all the time, except most, most of them have one or two locations. You dove in with four. What are some of the challenges that come about with a family owned and family operated business running in four different locations across a very uh, kind of a wide variety of uh, Northeast Ohio. How, how does that pressure kind of factor into your purpose? Uh, I, I think you definitely, automation comes into play. I think for in order for you to have scalability, um, when you're getting up to three or four locations, and in our case, we have a host of, of different software that um, we use for our point of sale, and for some of our marketing where we have automated emails that go out to people after they buy a bike or after they've um, hit a, uh, 90 days to remind them, hey, you can bring it in to have the bike checked one more time to make sure everything's still working right. Um, we have an online store that's another piece of software that works with our point of sale software. 
there's another piece of software they use we use for credit card payments so um, we're blessed to have one of our members of our leadership team that came from a information technology background um, and you know he, he like a number of our folks that are store managers or other people in management they all it was this was an opportunity for them to get away from corporate America and get with a smaller business and do things that were they felt were going to be more fun and fulfilling so he's been able to he's he's the backbone that keeps all of that stuff working and um, if we didn't have a resource whether it's an employee of your own or if you maybe have to outsource that to a third party um, if we didn't have that it would be much much harder to operate multiple locations if you didn't have a way to, for the information to flow freely and to be at your fingertips to make, know that you're making good decisions on how to manage what you're doing day to day. Yeah. So you've got those kind of pieces all kind of factored in to it to allow it. To, what about the different communities? Do you find it's different to market and different to speak and communicate and to impact different communities in different ways? Yeah, we were just talking about that this morning. Coincidentally, we have a weekly leadership team meeting and uh, we've been doing some promotion lately related to the holidays and um, you know the numbers are, are different um, one store because of where it is and what the neighborhoods are or the communities that surround it um, over the years may find it's easier for the volume of business that they generate and their numbers are a fair amount higher than the others and um, what we all agreed was that well it, it's not a case where we're gonna go and say why aren't the other stores Hitting the same number that that store is it's just to talk about specific to each store well, what are the things that are unique you know peninsula is in the middle of the Cuyahoga Valley National Park so um, and, and there aren't necessarily large subdivisions that were that were built right in the vicinity of that store but it's also in some ways the most recognizable or memorable because when you talk to people about century cycles and oh yeah you're the store down there in the in the valley next to Winking Lizard and where the towpath is and so forth. Um, so there's there's that. Um, but they're you know they have a lot of rental business and not necessarily as many sales of new bikes. Rocky River has a lot of family oriented neighborhoods around it, so they, we sell a lot of family oriented bikes at that location. Shaker Heights is uh, uh, more of a mix. We have a lot of people that um, their bike is their livelihood. That's they commute to work. They ride they ride a bike to run their errands they're more bicycle focused don't necessarily drive a car so we get a lot of people that might come into that store and say hey my bike just something broke it's not working but i got to get to work or you know i've got to i got to get back home kind of thing and so sometimes we'll be under the pressure to help them immediately resolve what it is so they can get back on their way and not say well we're going to need the bike for a few days it's like well but that's my only way of getting around so those are just a few examples of how we know every market is different and yes the there are unique twists or things that we do with the marketing to tailor to those audiences that are a little bit different across the four locations i think it's interesting that everything that you just talked about is about taking care of individuals one at a time um, and that's kind of what you said your purpose was in the first place was to help people out there and enjoying their bikes and and uh, enjoy the outside I'm, I'm interested you also mentioned the supply chain and the troubles that we had during COVID and I know it hit the bike industry uh, very hard because everybody wanted to be outside and yet uh, we couldn't get the the bikes what do you see next what's the next pressure level of, of problems that's going to happen that's going to come to you that maybe uh, tries to drive you off purpose a little bit and uh, and you'll have to overcome to make this business successful so there's kind of a uh, 
I, I refer to a little bit of, of the hangover of the pandemic. So, um, you know, early on, everybody stormed the bike stores across the country and bought out anything that had two wheels. And then for many months, you'd go into a bike store and there'd be almost nothing out on the sales floor that people could buy. So then there was a, a period of time up through the end of 20 and early 21. Um, slowly, we started getting more bikes and, uh, and accessories and gear into the stores so that by the time you get to this holiday season, in a lot of ways, we're back to normal from the standpoint of what customers see when they're out on the sales floor of each store. But behind the scenes, um, the industry, both at the supplier level and in the stores, we're, we're, now we're sitting on significantly more inventory than we ordinarily would be as you go from year to year. So, um, and, and I think people are hearing this about a lot of different areas of retail. Um, you're, you're seeing a lot of sales going on because all the stuff that was piling up over in Asia or piling up at um, loading docks or there were delays with barges bringing containers of product over overseas. As all of that got resolved, there's been a flood of product then into the United States. So um, there's, there's more discounting, I suppose, in the short term until we've worked our way through a certain amount of that excess inventory and we can get back to um, traditional retailing without having to have as many sales. So I think that'll be our challenge throughout 23 is that for the first half of 23, we, we're going to work hard to not let inventory have accumulated too much. And then we'll hit an inflection point. And as we get into the latter half of 23, hopefully more back to business as usual, knowing, okay, here's roughly what we have to order planning for the next busy season in 24 and not um, have a, an imbalance between what we want to have on hand and what we actually have on hand. And that'll be the first time in almost three years we finally get back to that. Get back to normal. And it's interesting as we as we kind of get towards the end of the show here that uh, as we record this in December of 2022, there are inflationary pressures everywhere in the business world. And yet you're sitting on a ton of inventory, which means you have to lower the price a little bit. So how do you see the inflationary pressures impacting you in the short and long term? How will that play out? Uh, that's a great question. I, you're right. There is some. So so we're uh, kind of a perfect storm. Well, on the one hand, we've got excess inventory and there's pressure then to have to put some of that uh, at a discount in order to lure customers in to buy it. There's the, the macroeconomic things that are going on where we've had inflation. Um, certain businesses are starting to lay people off. There's talk about whether we're going to potentially go into a recession. Um, the interesting thing about the bike industry, which is a little different than some other areas of retail, is that, interestingly, when you go back in history, um, during recessionary periods, the bike industry has still done relatively well because you'll see people shift then um, from driving their car as much as they do to buying a bike and saying, well, whether it was because gas prices were high or uh, I can't afford to get that next new car or my car broke down, um, I'm going to start using a bike to ride to the grocery store and bring the groceries home or I'm going to commute to work because I work nearby and I can do that when the weather's decent kind of thing. So we will see a certain uh, amount of sales that will still happen um, even as we're as society's working through this next recessionary period. Is biking on the grow or is biking on the downfall as far as wanting to be out there riding bikes and things like that? So, um, you know, you, I wish I had a crystal ball as do yeah. all Don't bike dealers don't. in this industry. Um, 
there have been a lot of moving parts over the last 24 months. And um, what is a challenge to sort through is that we had a huge spike in demand as we went through the pandemic and we had lots and lots of people. I think the statistic in, uh, I think it was 2021, 30 million people in the United States bought a new bike for the first time. It was a huge number. So the question is, okay, now that we've, a lot of things have started to return to normal and people are now able to go back on vacations again, or they're going to do whatever they want to do with their discretionary income. Um, will they continue to ride those bikes? And as they do, will they decide, Hey, I need, now I want a car rack for the car. Cause I don't want to keep riding just around here. I want to go on a bike related vacation or, um, I'm getting into it so much. I need to get some, now I, I want to get some actual bicycle, uh, bicycle related clothing, or I didn't get a helmet. I probably should have a helmet, those kinds of things. We, I think we've seen an uptick in some of that. And because of the sheer number of bikes that were bought, I think we've seen an uptick in service. What we're still waiting to see is from the standpoint of number of units of bikes sold and associated gear, we, we know that's going to come down and it did a little bit in 22 heading into 23. We were happy that we kind of set a goal and said, pre-pandemic up through 2019, here are the monthly and annual numbers. If we're above that, but below 20 and 21, we're happy. And that's where we ended up. So we have to see where that all plays out. Scott, I think there's a lot of people listening that are small business owners that are, are also doing their passion as well, the things that they love. And sometimes it can get in the way where the top line and the bottom line don't always match up to the just the fun of doing it. And I think you're a great resource for someone that's handling it like a business, but doing it on purpose to help people enjoy their lives a little bit. And uh, I think that's phenomenal. And if there's some business owners that, that want to talk to you about that business approach, or even just anybody that's now interested in biking, how would they reach out to you? How, how would they get in contact? Um, let's see if we can connect you guys. Um, sure. I, I'm, I'm always happy to uh, help other business owners if I can. Um, my Century Cycles email is Scott M, S-C-O-T-T-M, the letter M, at CenturyCycles.com. Uh, they can start there. Um, I'm, I'm even comfortable giving out my cell phone number, which I generally give to everybody. And I don't, it's good. It doesn't, I don't get hit with too many calls. Um, is 440-476-3104. Tremendous. And, and, and folks, he, uh, Scott knows what he's doing and his family uh, is good and they're, they're working on good things. And I love the fact that you're taking a, a, a large business and multiple, multiple locations and keeping it family owned and keeping it, uh, keeping it on purpose. I think that's tremendous. So Scott, thank you very much for being a guest uh, with us today on Purpose Under Pressure. I appreciate your story. Thank you, Brian. I was uh, happy to be here and share my story. Purpose Under Pressure is brought to you by Sandler Training in the Ruby Group. You can visit the rubygroup.sandler.com for more information. And trust me, in this pressure-packed sales world, um, you know, sales training by the Ruby Group can shine light on that purpose. So check out BrianMediaStrategies.com for more Purpose Under Pressure episodes. Or if you want to talk to me about anything at all, I'm at BrianMediaStrategies.com. I am Brian Leffelock. Thank you very much to Scott Maloney of Century Cycles. This is Purpose Under Pressure. We'll turn it up again next week.